0: Investors Chronicle.
1: Welcome to the Companies and Markets show. It's Thursday, the 4th of January, as we record. It's the first show of 2024. Today, we're going to start, therefore, with a bit of New Year cheer, courtesy of next seasonal trading update released this morning. This week also marks 40 years since the launch of the FTSE 100, which has been the cue for plenty of rather more doomy headlines. We'll examine whether that analysis is entirely accurate and consider prospects for the year ahead. And our cover story this week is our annual Ideas of the Year feature. So we're going to touch on those briefly to wrap things up. Joining me to discuss all this are, over the line, Julian Hoffman. Hi, Dan. And in the studio, Mark Robinson. How's it going, Dan? Very well, thank you, Mark. And Alex Newman. Hi, Dan. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year to you all. Uh, Mark, we're going to start with you. We're going to start with Next. Uh, It's early January update. It always tends to be a beacon of light, certainly for stock market observers who are starved for early-year news flow. Uh, This time, as has been the case for the company's past few trading updates, the news itself was pretty good as well.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Um, But I I don't think we can uh, read too much into uh, this latest uh, update. From next, it's something of an outlier. It has been in the past within the retail sector, but certainly uh, shareholders uh, would have been pleased, and uh, it wouldn't have really surprised uh, retail analysts though, because the the stock continues to uh, to outperform. Um, sort of uh, and and deliver on uh, it, its previous guidance levels as well. I think uh, we we can't read too much into it. There's going to be a flurry of retail updates in uh, the coming days too, which will give a little bit of a, a better indication about how the the sector itself is going. Yeah, yeah,
1: bringing us straight down down to earth there, which is fair enough. I mean, today, if we as we may come to, we do have a, also a profit warning from from JD Sports. So clearly, there's some disparity out there. But uh, as you allude to, this is the I think the fifth time in a row that they've uh, raised uh, profit forecasts. Uh, what what do the the figures actually say about how trading has been over the Christmas period, and also how they expect the year to go? Well, um,
0: in the in the last uh, few weeks of of the final quarter, I think overall um, sales might have been up by about five point six percent, but it wasn't. Uh, split evenly uh, uh, across the different sections of the business the online category was uh, the outstanding performer that was up ahead by about 9.1% whereas retail was not exactly flat but it, it was a it was a sort of a, a relatively mod- modest increase by uh, comparison it's always sort of interested me really that uh, that next uh, is doing as well as it has online well perhaps not the fact that it's done that well online I, it always seemed odd to me that it was a, a late comer to that section of the retail sector, given that it was previously uh, largely a, uh, a catalogue sales business when it first started, along with its obviously uh, high street outlet. So you would have thought that it would have been able to sort of transition. Uh, I guess, again, you you could say that uh, it points to a certain level of um, circumspection on, on, on the part of management because. Uh, down through the years, it's actually the company's become synonymous with with a, with prudent uh, management decisions as well, and that's part of the reason why it has consistently outperformed uh, the the sector as a whole. Um, it's extraordinary, really, because I mean, people have been waiting. Uh, it, you know, it hasn't been sort of linear progression, but people have been expecting it to slip up badly uh, year after year, and yet uh, here we are. Goodness knows how many years down the track, and the the company's still going strong.
1: Yeah, that that's definitely the case, and and you can see that reflected in the the share price over the past year, can't you? Uh, up, you know, almost forty percent now, not least on the back of those five uh, profit upgrades in the past ten months. Uh, Alex, uh, maybe I'll just bring you in early on here. On next, what, what are your thoughts on the company's trading prospects at the moment and, and general prospects?
2: I th- I think it's it's key for any when you're looking at any retail brand. Um, to think about the consumer that they're going after and and with next they've cultivated a consumer uh, that is just i don't know it's, it seems a lot easier to respond to or forecast against than lots of the other retailers added to that uh, the the point that mark makes is, is totally totally valid they are a brilliantly managed business i mean they probably helps that simon wolfson now now the longest serving CEO in the FTSE 100 has been at the helm for almost 23 years you know if you're an investor you just have to love their guidance I mean they're really transparent detailed on every part of the financial uh, accounts um uh, sort of meticulous in 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 explaining ahead of time what they can and cannot control I think in terms of their their immediate prospects I mean it's always going to be incremental with next but incremental can be a great investment because you know they do you do take care of the small things, um, stay plugged in with your customer, your your core consumer base, and you can, you know, keep roll o- rolling that over and compounding it into um to excellent returns. I suppose lo- looking you know, looking ahead, today they've disclosed as they often do, their balance of risk and opportunity factors. On on balance it's probably reassuring, I think. I mean they say that they're you know the good one of the good things about Next is they're the way they source their um, their product, uh, and their stable or falling factory gate prices at the same time as you know wages moving ahead of inflation is probably a good dynamic for them. Uh, it's something that clothes shoppers you know really notice and respond to if they feel a bit more um, in their pocket, and 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 yet prices aren't rising at the same time. offsetting that slightly, you've got these macro headwinds they can't fully control. Um, you know, one of them they highlighted is the shape of uncertainty around the Suez Canal and what that's going to mean for international shipping which I imagine is something we're going to talk about a lot in 2024 and possibly weakening employment and rising mortgage costs. On balance though you know it's a fairly confident note I think they they struck um, today. The other point Mark made really really important as well this is not necessarily a reflection of the broader retail environment they're just really plugged into this you know this next shopper um, and things for next shopper look, you know, reasonably good. Yeah, I I think
0: uh, another point worth mentioning as well, and and it points again to the prudential approach taken by management, is that they've gone into the um, end-of-season sale with with, uh, uh, surplus stock down by 12%, which would suggest, when you combine that with the fact that they had that increase in full price sales too, it, it does point to a certain degree of caution on the part of management, but, you know, these these type of companies live and die by the way that they manage their, their stock levels, because obviously, you know, you, you've got so much capital locked in there. And if you end up selling that at a discounted rate, I mean, you're you're going to end up uh, heading in the, in the wrong direction. And this, this is this is a key feature of the, the
1: next business model down through the years is the fact that they kept such a, a tight grip on inventory. And that's the flip side of that is really reflected today in the JD Sports update, isn't it? Where they say promotional activity has been higher than expected. They also mention the poor weather, which or the the weather that was different from uh, what they may have expected, which is is a recurring theme nowadays as well for a lot of retailers who aren't next. But but that promotional side of things, you know, having to discount more has really hit them, and therefore really hit the shares today. So you can see the opposite effect there.
0: Yeah, I mean, you'll see that in the coming uh, days and weeks, really. Um, the retailers that have actually been forced into that situation, and it does come down to sort of inventory management as well. The fact that they have to somehow uh, turn turn that capital or liquidate that capital in a sense. Uh, JD Sports haven't managed. I didn't quite under um, understand that reference to the weather as well, because surely that would for winter sales that would refer to sort of uh, knitwear and coats, which isn't exactly their bag. I mean, don't. Don't get me wrong. I haven't been into one of their stores in in, in quite some time. But you'd think that would have more of an impact on a, a company uh, like Next because it's more utilitarian in a sense. You know, it's workwear to a certain degree. But it hasn't played out, and
1: I don't know. It it, it sounded a little bit desperate to me. Well, I suppose in their defence, or you know, I'm just thinking off the cuff here. You know, yeah, it, this is about their their clothing line, the the uh, weather reference, rather than the trainers side, and. And, you know, they are an outdoor brand as well, so if you're getting slightly warmer weather, I suppose the, the sale of North Face jackets that everyone seems to own nowadays is probably going to struggle a bit, so maybe there's something like that. In fact, yeah, Mark, Mark you're wearing a North Face uh yourself. Uh, I am, but I, ha- yourself.
0: but I haven't actually been into their, uh, where's their flying ship store in Oxford Street? I'm of the wrong sort of um, age dynamic, really, to be commenting on JD Sports. True.
1: Uh, you know, just to go back to what Alex was was saying just now, it was quite a good summary, I suppose, of the... The positives and negatives facing the UK consumer this year, on the one hand, uh, you know, wage growth is starting to uh, overtake inflation if it hasn't done so already. On the other hand, for companies like Next in particular, mortgage costs and remortgage costs being higher are going to have an impact this year. If you're a renter, you know, for focus on different retailers, those costs are still rising as well. So it's, it's quite hard to discern how these things will We'll balance each other out. I have seen this morning some quite uh, optimistic forecasts for UK inflation, I think from Goldman Sachs saying it'll be below target in the first quarter, which, you know, it's pretty, uh, even as we sit here in January, uh, would be a pretty good and pretty swift development from that stage. Can we sum these things up? How do we see the outlook for the consumer? Last year was very, was very much a story of the consumer doing better than expected yeah consumer spending holding up can that can that continue
0: well by and large i think that changed as the year progressed and it may well be the fact that so many mortgagees are going on to a variable rate in the early part of this year and just the expectation in itself is enough to uh, constrain household budgets and uh, discretionary income so you know i, th- I think the point that uh, next management has made is, is valid enough But then again, you you look at it and it seems that at the coalface, uh, borrowing or mortgaging costs are actually falling now. And you wouldn't expect that the base rate would go any higher than where it is at the moment. So perhaps that's a a positive in terms of uh, overall consumer uh, sentiment. You know, I I, I think it's... um, I think we'll have to wait well into the second quarter before we see if the if, if this has had any sort of material uh, impact going forward. It's a bit of a cop out on on my part, of course, but uh, you know there
1: there are so many variables at, at this stage. Well, we we will also have a few more retailer updates we in the next few days, as you some to indications as well. And it's not just next that has done well. We should say uh, it was in the dark days of December, but Currys had a pretty good trading update back then as well. So, you know, obviously a different part of the retail sector, but there are still positive signs on consumer spending resilience. So we'll keep tabs on how they how they develop. For now, though, we are going to turn to the FTSE 100 in sum because this week, yesterday to be precise, Wednesday as we record today, Thursday, uh, was the 40th anniversary of the index's inception. Uh, as I said, that did spark various rather dismal uh, analyses talking about the FTSE reaching middle age, the FTSE being over the hill, which if uh, you, like me, are also turning 40 this year, were extremely (laughs) depressing to read. (laughs) Uh, But are are these uh, entirely accurate? We'll get to that in a minute. Maybe we can first of all look at the the performance post-mortem, if you will, because a lot of the reason for the gloom and doom has been looking at its performance relative to the S&P 500 over the past few years and clearly it's lagged quite a lot over 10 years, 20 years since 2008 in particular. Julian, maybe I'm going to start with you, bring you in. You've been on the sidelines so far. What's your take on the, uh, the entire history of the, the FTSE, but also, you know its relative performance to the US? Are these kind of comments we've seen this week justified in, as far as that performance is concerned in and of itself?
3: Well, I'm, I'm often uh, reminded of Karl Marx in these situations, who said that uh, history repeats itself first as tragedy and then as farce. But uh, leaving that aside, the FTSE has provoked quite a lot of, uh, you know, YOYing over the last <laughs> five to 10 years, probably. But what get, tends to get overlooked is that the index, until 2010, actually performed pretty much in line with America. It's it's America that has accelerated away from the FTSE one hundred in terms of performance. You know, if you've stuck your money in a tracker in 2009 in the in the, the S P five hundred, you've got, you know, a five hundred percent return and the FTSE over the same period has only doubled in value. Uh that's excluding dividends. Um so it's a it's a very um unfortunate series of coincidence really that, that has happened and that's coincided with the fact that five or six shares on the U.S. market are powering that return, and the UK um, market, by contrast, is led by mature companies that do relatively boring things but vital. Um, uh, you know, who earn lots of their money in dollars overseas, uh, who will perform year in year out and will pay the dividends. And um, you know, you're just in this situation at the moment where investors will dump, you know, BP at five to at five. Times earnings to uh, to buy Amazon at eighty five times, so it's there's there's a certain amount of um, you know, sense that it's not all the fault of the the index or the the underlying economy that there are factors that are simply beyond the control that uh, nobody would have foreseen in the fortieth anniversary that it was quite this uh, extreme in terms of performance. But um, no, I, I, I mean. I'm with you on that. You know, I I turned 40 a few years ago, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I still feel like uh, there's plenty of life in me <laughs> in I actually
0: uh, entered the uh, the equities industry in 1984 as well. So uh, you know, again, that's another uh, interesting anniversary. Uh, on on a, a point you alluded to there as well, Julian, is that uh, I got some data through this week from A.J. Bell. And uh, they'd bothered to look at the um, the total return, um, including dividends of the FTSE 100. And of course, uh, UK benchmark index stocks pay a much higher proportion uh, or return a much higher proportion of uh, their shareholder funds than US firms. And when you take that into consideration, it narrows appreciably over time. Although in the last 10 years with... Uh, the Magnificent Seven, or uh, I can't remember their early incarnation, the The US market has sort of pulled away. But when you take look at it from a total return basis, uh, the FTSE has actually outperformed many other overseas uh, indices over that time as well. It, it's just the fact that it's an inevitable consequence of, as you say, it's uh, it's full of mature uh, industries, commodity companies, a uh, large proportion of financials in this. But you know, the, 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 if you if you take it, if you take the, the income argument with it as well, the the, the performance itself ha- actually has been quite credible over, the, over that period, and we saw the value uh, we saw the value of the index uh, highlighted during twenty twenty two, when uh, a lot of capital uh, made it uh, rotated out of uh, growth stocks and into value and then the, the the index showed its worth during that period so i th- i think i think the um the negative comment uh, that, that we see in the press or perpetually in the press is rather overstated Alex, what are your thoughts to that end
2: I agree part of the post-mortem that the this fortieth birthday is invited i think is you lead to rather than it just being a, just a, another arbitrary landmark is that um uh you know is the comparison with the runaway market of 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 choice or of comparison which is the s p 500 so prescribing more technology stocks or that the the footsie 100 should should just look more like the s p 500 and attract those businesses is very easy to say in practice that's a multi-decade um you know a, a shift which needs to happen and and requires lots of uh, incentives and things that um that are difficult to you know to to ask of, of any index or, or or country. So we kind of have to ask what the FTSE 100 is for and sort of acknowledging that it's not going to turn into a sort of man- Magnificent Seven sort of technology whiz story overnight. But people do understand its idiosyncrasies and, and failings to a degree. Um, there is not the renewal which you would like to see in any market and that is really important. That does have to be addressed over time, you know, for, when you're looking over the next 40 years. But, if you want, um, you know, if you want uh, your portfolio to do certain things, the FTSE 100 can um, can, as Mark alluded to, you know, see 2022 for further evidence. Can can achieve that? It can act as a hedge in times of interest rate, geopolitical, or inflationary strife, um, just because of the composition of its uh, of its uh, you know uh, of its constituents. So, um, so j- you know, just saying, we need to be or it needs to be more like the S&P 500 to you know try and match those returns it's maybe sort of misdiagnosing what it can be or what it is possible that the FTSE 100 can be and also you know the reality that every investor should understand now that you can you know you can pick and choose you can and probably should have a good posh par- portion of your of your uh, equity portfolio in global equities um but you know the FTSE 100 can still serve a function within that that doesn't have to be relegated to the 4% or whatever it is now in a MSCI world um, uh index weighted terms so um so yeah let's not write it off just because um you know the last decade has has you know seemed like a, a particularly poor time compared with um the S&P
0: there there, there has been that pull away as well from uh, domestic uh, uh, pension funds too which has uh, been much in the news of late and uh, um, you know, if we if we go back to uh, the Gordon Brown's tax reforms as well, that may have had the effect over the long run of uh, pulling volume uh, out of that market as well, which is not supported for uh, share price valuations. Some of that is due to the fact that it's become a much more globalised equities market then. It was much easier for funds and certainly individuals now than it was 20 years ago to, to hold uh, overseas stocks. But it, it at, at the time of uh, uh, Gordon Brown's reforms on that basis and the effect that it had on pension funds, some analysis uh, pointed the fact that it would take about 20 years before all the ill effects to come through. And uh, we might we might be seeing this now. So any incoming government, if they wanted to s- support the stock market and, and try and re- reinvigorate the LSE uh, in the coming years, might
1: have a, a rethink on that score. The other thing I wanted to highlight, just in the performance terms, is that in the past couple of years, things haven't maybe been as bad as people think either. You know, we spoke about the good 2022, and that can really carry the FTSE a long way, even in this comparison with the US. Because if you look at, say, I had a look at uh, performance of the two indices since March last year, when uh, the Fed started hiking rates, and also since November 2020, which was when. You know, you've got the news about the vaccines for coronavirus. And so, you know, the start of this whole kind of new paradigm, as it were, almost. So both those situations, the, the FTSE is very nearly, uh, and until, until recently, it was ahead of the S&P over both those timelines. It's only the sort of the fierce rally of the past couple of months that has put the S&P ahead again. And so if you consider, you know, all these timeframes are arbitrary, be they, you know, three years, five years, what have you, but you consider those changes in market. Dynamics, i.e., higher rates, but also before that, higher inflation. And the FTSE has done very well, albeit over a short period of time. And and you know, it's ultimately all about the compounding, as we say, and and the dividend aspect for the FTSE is very important to that total return. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you all with a quick quiz question now, though. How many companies uh, are still in the FTSE 100 that were there in 1984? Obviously, you can define this in slightly different ways depending on name changes and what have you, but there's a there's a figure or a couple of figures. Eleven. I have in mind eleven.
2: Alex, what's your thoughts? A little higher, maybe twenty.
1: Julian.
3: Yeah, I'd go around twelve or 13 let I'll say thirteen.
1: Well, the answer apparently. Well, the answer, as I say, there are two answers. One, uh, <laughs> FT Alphaville today or last night suggested twenty nine. PL Hunt suggests thirty three. So a full third of the index okay. is still there. Well, uh, yeah. Well,
2: I was only halfway
1: there. Uh, yeah, close enough. I mean, again, a lot of these have been renamed, but there you go. There is certainly some, uh, out, you know, or acquired other companies, but there is a persistence there. Mm. Uh, let's talk about the, the year ahead and some of the catalysts for change. We've talked about rate cuts. We alluded to, uh, you know, the general outlook for the UK economy. Uh, what about earnings outlooks? Uh, Julian, I think you've been looking at uh, UK earnings outlooks in general. What are, what are the prospects there?
3: There's... Um an interesting series of research coming out recently about how corporate earnings will behave next. Uh, oh, sorry, this year as we go through and um, <clears throat> what's coming out of that is that the the picture is generally uh, on the positive side. Um, but what could be interesting is how mid and small caps perform this year, which if if people sort of cast their minds back, over 2023, the the worst affected parts of the market were were the sort of mid small cap uh, and AIM shares, uh, and mainly because those companies are heavily dependent on um, the UK economy itself, and uh, they weren't able to pass on, you know, price rises or, uh, you know, they had to take significant um, cost rises themselves during that inflationary period, and uh, unlike um, FTSE 100 companies, they're not able to use their market power to offset that so that 2023 was a relatively bad year if you were a small to to mid cap um, uh, player Uh, but uh, research now suggests that that could be on a bounce back level and that's obviously linked to how inflation performs but uh, some people are suggesting that uh, corporate earnings at that level should go up by about 20 to 22 percent which would be an amazing performance you have to say. Um, yeah but uh yeah so it, it's like it, the outlook is generally for the generally positive but it, it's going to depend a lot on how um the british market economy and consumer behaves next year and if that is positive as we go through the years, as, as there seems to be a lot of suggestion now um then the smaller part of the, the smaller half of the market is going to benefit because they will get the 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 throughput from lower prices which will help their profitability so yes yeah, so there was an interesting uh it's it's an interesting you know, game of two halves as were. Well. so the you know we're, we're basically on a bounce back front i think
1: as far as we yeah can talk. a salutary reminder i think as well that uh, of course it's not just the uk versus us but to some extent there's Intra UK dynamics as well, as you say last year, particularly bad for smaller mid caps and the year before. And we have been looking for that kind of rebound for a while now. So so perhaps some stars are aligning. We we'll all hope so could, at least. Could be a dual election year. Well, as well that is yeah, likely to be the case, isn't it? US. Probably UK. Mm. So we'll see what happens there. Uh another uh you know, we're not gonna do a whistle stop tour of the entire world, but uh <laughs> Europe is another uh, region which, uh, Julian, I know is uh, close to your heart sometimes uh, in terms of European equities. And there was one piece of of corporate activity you wanted to touch on.
3: Yeah, as we know, um, Europe seems to be on a slightly better trend line than we are at the moment. But um, uh, European banking has been in the doghouse for years and um, uh, for, for very good reason. But the recent um, news that's been quite interesting is that the activist investor Sevian, which is uh, the sort of Swedish-based um, uh, intervention fund, um, they've bought about 1.3 percent of UBS, um, the one-time near-failed Swiss bank, but subsequently the owner of large parts of Credit Suisse's wealth business, and. Um, I thought that this highlighted uh, some interesting expectations really on on how investors uh, expect things to unfold because um the reason why sevian has bought quite a, such a large chunk of ubs i think it's about um it's like nine percent of their total fund has been invested in just in those shares they expect wealth management particularly to continue and uh, the question that, come, that immediately forms in my mind, and and also in some, the mind of some analysts, is whether that is going to be the case as we go through the year. And you know, the services that banks could offer very rich people at a time of low interest rates were sort of vital in in keeping, you know, your your wealth turning over. But um, you know, as rates normalise, the question is whether that that trend can continue in that form or whether we're really sort of at uh uh a turning point when it comes to to wealth management i mean wealth management has been the growth sector for most financial services firms over the past um five to ten years and uh the the, the CVN buy sort of assumes that that will continue but it's it's a very um i, I would say quite a binary situation so i, I thought i'd highlight that that's uh uh, an interesting uh, um, take on 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 where they see growth coming in in Europe, but um, uh, I think it's open to interpretation.
1: To me, it seems uh, slightly later as well. I remember when we discussed on this show the the teeth of the mini banking crisis last March. You know, when they first took over Credit Suisse, their shares were down, I think, ten percent on the morning, which seemed seemed crazy to uh, a few of us, given the dominant market position they just secured in in uh, in Switzerland and and presumably relatively free of competition concerns given they've been bounced into it as well uh, since then the shares have done very well and and but perhaps that is the key aspect of the the rationale with wealth management as well in that they have a large chunk of the swiss wealth management market now entirely sewn up uh, you know there is not one big competitor anymore there are a lot of smaller private banks and a few mid-sized ones aren't there but that big competitor has gone forever it seems it also seems ripe for for challenge if if you want to look at it from
3: that point of view um that uh, you could see a, a situation where there are more pre- boutique managers that come along and mm. offer bespoke services and uh, I, you know banking has proved conclusively over many years that size uh, and uh, uh, capacity aren't necessarily the main qualities that 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 do well for investors so it's uh, you yeah. know we will see how, how it plays out. But yeah, it's you know, it's a, you know CBN is generally a quite a canny investor. So I mean, whether they force UBS to to restructure the business comprehensively, and you know, once the suggestion is they might move it lock stock uh, to a US market listing in order to increase the value which is something that they did with uh, CRH, I remember. They, they do have options on the table, but I, I, I'm not sure that the base case that you know, wealth management, now that interest rates are higher, is going to be a, a growth business is, is secure, really.
1: Mm, that's a fair point. We're going to conclude, because we are running short on time, with a very brief look at our cover feature this week, which is the big ideas of the year issue the ideas of the year for 2024 when we take a look at various sectors of the uk market and beyond uh, alex you have overseen this uh, this big project as usual we're not going to go into specifics but can we talk about the the ways we group the companies for for this feature
2: yeah readers who are familiar with this uh, this long-term feature and will have saw last years one will know that we have for the last few years been grouping ideas into sort of baskets or mini portfolios that kind of encapsulate a theme that we think is likely to do well or is worth highlighting or could be a source of good ideas for the for the next year so those buckets haven't changed radically from last year I can sort of just list them in turn and and sort of explain the value for slightly modifying or clinging on to them in each case so we have global giants which is very similar to one we had last year um, very conscious of the um, astronomical uh, values that some of the star shares in particularly in the US reached last year Um, notwithstanding we have included a couple of them in in our basket for the um, the simple reason that you cannot ignore some of these companies and in both cases we think there are you know the potential is still astronomical there So that kind of explains why we think you know investors always need to think about you know. The, 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 some of the largest global stocks, regardless of how things have run up in the last few years, um, because there are still real opportunities there. There's a couple of portfolios. We've got the even more small cap value um, stocks, and a, a, you know, a similar play on that, which is special situations, both of which are focused primarily on UK value, where at the you know, the junior end of the market. There are some just astonishingly cheap stocks out there, and the, the the raft of takeovers, which we saw in the final quarter of 2023, I think is an indicator that being selective here and and looking at good businesses with with sound prospects can help you nonetheless find um, shares which are you know materially undervalued on on sort of almost any measure. The and the final final two was is, is UK quality stocks which um which did. Actually had a, a really good year last year, um, bouncing back after quite a beat down in 2022. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of a share price appreciation with and, and valuations we've seen in, in some of those stocks. But you know, it's a r- reminder that there are quality businesses in the you know in the FTSE 100, FTSE 250, despite the I suppose the associations that the indices sometimes have, um, and that they can provide fertile hunting ground. You know, just domestically without having to go looking at um, Silicon Valley for. Um, for really, really smartly run businesses um, with great growth prospects, and then finally, we just want to highlight highlight the enduring discounts in the in the investment trust world. Which, in, in a way, we do cover this in our investment trust report in 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 the course of the year. Um, but such are the discounts still, even after I, I suppose the improvement in sentiment across the market over the last couple of months, that these are really worth highlighting. And 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 some of these, some of the ones we've highlighted, have seen very very strong. NAV performance over the past year and whatever the discounts are your your outlook is when it comes to discounts what really matters is uh, is NAV is the NAV the underlying assets that are within trust and eventually that is the thing which should push share prices higher it's hard for gravity to be defied for you know indefinitely when uh, when you know discounts yawn to sort of 30 40% and yet NAV is still growing um particularly when it involves liquid assets which can be sold uh, and you know a, a wind up could happen in theory so um so yeah those those are the, those are the five themes familiar to anyone who read last year's one but i think there's a, a definite case for um for reiterating th- some of the things which did work last year in our 2024 roundup
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, as you allude to last year uh, performance was was pretty good uh, the ideas of the year did well in some and in most cases individually beating benchmarks to bring things full circle, the, the UK stars, as it was then called, was the uh, the best pick of the bunch as well in terms of uh, grouping, I think. So it does show there is a opportunity out there still in the UK market. That does bring us to the end of today's show, though. So thank you very much to Alex, to Mark, to Julian, and to our producer, Maddie Apthorpe. And thank you to you for listening. We'll see you next time on another Companies and Markets show.